On this episode of Investors and Operators, I sit down with Suzanne Yoon, Managing Partner of Kinsey Capital in Chicago. We cover a wide range of topics, including starting the firm from scratch, talk about entrepreneurship and how that affects family and how we can make it all work. Please feel free to reach out if you have any questions about what we can do at 51 Labs, which is a digital marketing firm focused on LinkedIn, video, events such as virtual annual meetings, and a bunch of more digital marketing services. I hope you enjoy this episode with Suzanne here. Thank you. Being in private equity is so hard because the competition is so high just to be in private equity. And which is one of the reasons I was always really attracted to private equity, the talent and the people that I had the I have had the opportunity to work with is tremendous. I mean, my the learning, my ability or the opportunity to learn problem solve with some of the best minds that I've known has been, you know, really quite a privilege. And I, I think um, is what really makes private equity for me very fun. So just the table stakes of being in private equity is so hard. And then starting a firm is so hard. And I don't think it matters what color you are, what gender you are. It's just hard because it's very competitive. I mean, you're competing against the best of the best. You know, maybe this is just coming from my perspective of the particular market that I'm in or the angle I'm in in this market, but talk about the competitive dynamic. Like, what is that balance between having the view of things being a blue ocean and not zero sum versus the competitive angle and that, you know, for example, investor money or deals that you're looking at? Like, how do you balance that mentality, those different mentalities? Well, one, it's you're competing for two main things, right? And three, actually or three things that you compete on um, in private equity. One is investor dollars, because we aggregate investor dollars to make the investments. The second is deal flow. And the third is talent. And all three of those are incredibly important, right? None of those happen without the other. And so how do you, you know, I, and I say you thinking about myself, how do I and my team and Kinsey differentiate ourselves in all three of those categories to attract, attract the best possible talent, to convince investors to put dollars with us when they could put it with um, you know, thousands of other firms, right? And three, convince sellers that we are the right partner for them in a very competitive environment and generally in companies that are showing innovation and have potential for growth. So they're not only attracting private equity dollars, but also most likely strategic dollars. So that's what makes the competitive landscape of private equity so difficult because you're also competing against great minds at other firms, right? And great talent at other firms. And how do you differentiate yourself in that environment as a female-led, um, minority-owned firm, and you know, for us, you know, part of our differentiation is the diversity, and not just gender and ethnic diversity, but diversity of experiences of our team members, where we're bringing right technology expertise and operations expertise to the sellers, right, and potential our potential management team partners, 
you know, going forward and um, actually being able to execute on that, which then attracts investors, which then attracts best in class talent. Can you talk about that balance between you and Clarity Partners and working with, you know, David and, and, and Rod and the team and just how their deep technology expertise and also just, you know, what has David shared about his entrepreneurial journey and how that might may have influenced kind of the path that you've gone down with Kinsey? So I'm really fortunate. I have a co-founder that is not um, only an operator, but has been a very trusted advisor to many businesses and governments, government systems throughout his career, and really has transformed the way they operate um, with his guidance and leadership. So, um, but he also is an entrepreneur and a CEO, you know, has been a CEO multiple times. And I think that has allowed for, you know, Kinsey really to leverage all of our experiences collectively. And, and to be honest, I'm a first time CEO and it's great to have a partner who like reminds me that we're going to make mistakes, but we have to solve them quickly and really kind of has paved the way in some ways for me. Um, and has been, he's not just my partner. I mean, he, a uh, business partner. You know, he's uh, he's an advisor to me. He has been in, in and I think we do that for each other, which is why it's such a great partnership is that I understand the world of private equity. He understands how to fix operational issues using technology. And um, that creates a lot of value for the companies that we invest in and also for our investors. Rewinding a little bit, what was it like kind of starting the firm? You know, leaving the corporate world with a larger structure where payroll's coming in, healthcare benefits, to starting your own firm. You know, what what was that like? You have to do everything yourself. We didn't have any infrastructure. Um, we had to create the infrastructure from scratch. And I jokingly tell people this, um, but it's not really a joke. It's reality is, yes, I'm the managing partner and CEO, but I'm also the head janitor, the <laughs> office manager, the head of HR, right? I mean, I, you have to do all of those things and, and you, have to, you have to do them well because we need to build, and this goes back to my comment about being competitive. If I want to attract the best in class talent relative to PE funds that are more established, I have to have the right processes and procedures in place, not just with the investments, but also internally, right? Where employees and um, people who are coming to work at Kinsey really feel one, a level of ownership to move the company forward. Two, that they are continually developing, you know, and then three, we have, we're taking care of them. And that includes the right HR policies and, you know, benefits and all those things that we didn't have to do. I never had to deal with prior to starting Kinsey. I just had it done for me. And even things like treasury management, you know, at a large fund or at, a, at an established fund, we had an entire team who dealt with treasury management. I never had to look at treasury management. Now it's all on us, you know, as a team to make sure that those things get done. It's very important the treasury management, the compliance. Compliance is a whole nother 
<laughs> area that that um, causes a lot of heartache for all of us, but it's so important, you know, that we understand it. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I think about my job as, yes, I have to manage our investors, make sure that we have the right deal flow. I think what's most important to me is that the team develops in a way that is professional and, you know, that we can compete as a team, right, out in the marketplace for investor dollars, which means that they all have to develop um, and I can't do everything, but I don't want to, I want to know everything. I don't want to miss anything. I can't ever be, I have to be responsible for the entire organization. What's been fun for me over the last three years is really watching the development of the team and the ownership that they've taken in their given areas of expertise. So starting a firm had to be nerve wracking to say the least. And I was wondering what courage means to you and how you conceptualize that idea. So we have talked about this before, I know. Um, I think a lot of people think that courage means you're just fearless and you're brave and you just go out there. But I think it's it's really hard to have courage without a lot of fear, right? Like bravery comes from having fear. It's like overcoming that fear or just charging through the fear. And um, I think starting Kinsey was probably one of the scariest things I've done in my entire life. Leaving a very, I would say, well-established firm and choosing instead of going to another, you know, well-established firm, choosing to start something from scratch, putting my family in, you know, financial risk and having to put all of my own, I would say capital and human capital into something that I, I didn't know where exactly it would go, but having a plan, executing on it, building a team from scratch. So we are a, a first-time team. And so four years ago, three years ago, I didn't know what that was going to look like. But I think you have to have some you know, level of belief. And maybe that's, that's where courage comes from is you have to have conviction about the outcome, even if you're afraid. So that's what courage means to me, right? Having a lot of conviction, despite how scared you are about the potential outcome. How much did your vision two to three years ago kind of line up with where you're at now? And then the next question I would have is around, I think a book that we mutually own. <laughs> it's behind oh. you, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. And maybe if I'm reading I can't, on, on your back, right, I think I see the book Principles. That's <laughs> oh, funny. But, uh, you know, how, how, how does your, the vision that you had when you're first thinking about this, kind of line up with where things are at a couple of years from now? And do you think there's been any changes? So, so many things about being an entrepreneur are about this like windy road. You want it to be straight, you know, but there's always like small obstacles that come up and you, I think you overcome them. If there's something I would tell you I didn't expect is um, I wished it happened faster. You wish that starting the business would have happened faster. No, I wished where we are today happened faster. <laughs> you know, closing a fund in two deals. <laughs> yeah. I wish it happened uh, in the first year, you know, um, when we started. But I also recognize we were starting a new team. It was a completely new firm, you know, with having to build the infrastructure from ground up. So I wasn't going into a larger asset manager that already had it, you know, had had those things. And so I wouldn't give up the experiences that I've had with some of the roadblocks or the, um, the windy road that we went through because it made us so much better today. And, you know, the early deals we had where we were 
you know, exclusive on our first transaction. And literally we had a, a geopolitical issue with the tariffs that killed our deal. We were 30 days away from closing and spent a ton of money and time. And that was within the first year, but in hindsight, it was great experience for the team and um, it made us so much better in our diligence processes. So when we came to close, you know, our fund and our first deal and all the experiences we had with starts and stops with deals kind of along the way, it really made us think hard about all the things that we had to think about to make this you know, our first deal is as, as successful as it has been. And even the second deal, right? And, and the go forward. So if I think back to starting and if I could change anything, it's that I wish you everything happened faster <laughs> than it did because I'm not the most patient person in the world. But with that said, looking back at all the experiences we've had as a team, I think all of it happened for a reason and made us much better. One of the things I most admire about you is that in every meeting, I've, we've known each other for a couple of years now, is just, it always feels like there's this sense of calm and thoughtfulness and not reactive, but very thoughtful. And I'm the opposite. <laughs> so I've really tried to learn uh, in every meeting that we have, I always come back and I'm always writing notes afterwards. Like, how can I be better? Like, what can I be doing differently? And just how I'm processing the world. And I'm just wondering how you think about emotional intelligence and maybe even to the book behind you with the principles that you have. And, you know, how do you think about emotional intelligence and, and just kind of life principles? Really, you know, I, this is as a leader, right? Like you have to, I, I think you, what what does it mean to me? I think just to start to be a leader and, and the people that I admire the most, I think it's, you lead in a way, right? Personally, where people naturally want to go along for the ride with you. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't require a hammer sometimes, but I think a lot of that is where the emotional intelligence comes in, right? Is how do you make sure the people that work for you, work with you, and not just within work life, but your personal life? How do you convince people to move along with you? Right, I even think about that with my husband, like what, in God's earth, like, was he thinking when he was like, yes, Suzanne, I think this is a great idea. You should go out and start a private equity firm. Like, let's forget about all the, you know, like all the financial responsibilities we have to our three children. And I think maybe he saw kind of my passion and, and desire and focus, right? It was and a lot of that, I think, is like, you have to lead by example. Did he believe I was going to be successful doing this? I think he was my first kind of test. And I think he just went all in, like didn't question it. And and by the way, my husband's probably also the most critical person of me <laughs> in my life for good reason. What is reason. that balance? Because over the past four years with Jing, you know, I feel that I've taken so much and have not given. And, you know, now it's her turn to shine and to come into our business. And, but she's been supporting us for four years as a lawyer. And I was just, I felt like there's only been two times when she's put the hammer down. <laughs> one was you have one, you have 100 days to find funding. <laughs> and the other one was you have one month to get revenue. Um, but there's, I feel that she's been very, incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I was a good communicator and so I was just wondering kind of how that dynamic has evolved 
and how you, what you would advise others who do have families, who do want to start their own endeavors, whether it's, you know, private equity, private credit, their advisory firm, whatever it is, you know, looking back, is there any advice kind of you would have for others on how to have that balance between? I, I mean, entrep- entrepreneurship is a family affair. And I think that's something that I bring to the company is I recognize that time and effort, it's not just about me too, right? It's also about my colleagues at Kinsey. The time and effort that they put into Kinsey also affects their families as well. And so starting a company, being an entrepreneurial firm does not come up without sacrifice from the family. So I would never have been able to start Kinsey, get to where I am without the support of a great partner at home. You know, I have three boys who need us as parents. That's obviously a priority in my life and we needed to make sure that was balanced. So my advice to entrepreneurs is, you know, you really do have to get the support of your partner and um, they're as much a part of building a company, even if they're not working in it day to day, because you have to have the balance at home and the support at home, right? Especially if you have children to balance that. And so, yeah, I think that's like what you're asking me and I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I remind, I remind myself to thank him as much as I can. Anytime I have, you know, we get an, we get an accolade or a new investor, a new employee. He is as much a part of that as the work I do every day, because I couldn't do that without having a supportive spouse. And on a side note, Yeah. And listen, on a side note, that's why so many people end up divorced in this business. It's not an, it's not easy. And, and by the way, it's not just my, it's not just my husband. It's my mom. It's my sisters. It's my brother, my in-laws, my, you know, extended family who are always like rooting for us to do well. Right. So, and the friends and it takes a village, like not just to raise a child, but to start a firm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you hear that all the time. Oh, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, like it takes an even larger village, I think, to start a company. So I, I think one of the things we, that I failed at with the first entrepreneurial venture at Debt Maven was I inadvertently kept her in the dark, not in terms of like, I don't want to share our financial situation. I right. was just so focused on the business that I forgot to say, hey, here's the end of the month and where we're at with the business. Now with 51 Labs, because she's a part of it as COO, mm-hmm. CFO, head of creative, like we're doing this together. And I think that was one of the things I would have done differently in an entrepreneurial venture is just to be on the same page and communicate where the business is at on a frequent basis. Because they just, it's not that they're not willing to go down the path. They just want to know what's going on. And so they mm-hmm. feel like they're a part of it as opposed to randomly taking risk. And they see you when you come home at 10 p.m. on a good day. I think you just have to gauge, right? Because every part, every person is different. And so every partner is going to be different. And I think there's a balance to that. But again, that's a read of how do you read the other person, right? And what their needs are and not to forget. And that's a really good point, Jordan. I think it's, it's really easy when you are, and we've all gone through it as entrepreneurs and even people who are very passionate about their work. And I've certainly been called a workaholic because I actually love my work. I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. Entrepreneurs can have a tendency, if very focused, to forget about everything else that is going on in their lives, right? And the people that are around them. And you have to make sure you take some time out to be there for the people who are supporting you too. 
right? So that there is some balance to your point. Because I, I think it's very easy and I'm guilty of it too. I get very inundated in my work and I kind of sometimes forget about, you know, what the needs are of, I think, my people in my personal life. And luckily I'm, I'm reminded because I have very vocal children <laughs> and a very vocal husband that would like to remind me, you know, when I'm disappeared for too long. So, <laughs> that, um, that but just when I when they but when they say it, I listen. I try. I try to listen, and I try to balance. I think in a lot of ways, COVID. What's interesting about what's happened with COVID is we are all very blessed to be able to work from home. I, I recognize there are a lot of people out there that do not have that luxury and are really struggling. So I'll just start with that. But I think working from home, despite all of the distractions. And the chaos that ensues at times has really brought people back together at home. And for me, just the ability to have had dinner with my kids for a few months straight every night, I've never experienced that before. So that was, it was really nice, actually. That, that made me think about in the past two weeks, I just kind of had this epiphany when I'm, you know, 6.30, Hunter wakes up, 11 months old, and I feed him. Jing is in the other room taking a rest for the past couple of weeks. And I just realized like, oh my God, like this is life. This is like the purpose of my day-to-day existence. Like I'm not trying to work today and for a focus of what's happening tomorrow. And then the next week and the next year and the next month, it's just in a, a being very present with what we're experiencing right now. You know, maybe on to the next Next question and final one before we wrap up, which is when you look at where like the state of women in finance and in private equity, what does the in-state look like? What is, what is the ideal? Like, what does it look like? What do you, I mean, I guess, and let me just think about the question for a second. Like, what does the, what does it look like today? Is it in four equity? out of 10 firms have to have female founded or is it mm. like, what, what is the end state here? I think that there's been tremendous progress in the past year or two in terms of the press and it's now at the forefront of everyone's mind in the industry, but what's the goal? What's the, what is the end state? Or is it an intangible when you go to the team page and then you realize, you know what, that kind of looks like that's more representative of America. It's a great question. So the reason I'm struggling with the answer is I can tell you more what's wrong with the current state than what I think the end should be. And the reason is, I don't know, I wish I could tell you it's 50% of the world, right? Like 50% of the world is, or the US is women. So should we have 50% women at a firm? That would be great. But women also have bear the majority of the responsibilities at home with children. It's still like that today. I just think we have a long way to go. So yes, has there been more progress with women? And do women hold more wealth today than they ever have? Yes. And is that going to continue? It's absolutely going to continue. As long as we keep the momentum up and because there's more people with more training, right? There's more women who have more training in private equity and investing. And you're seeing more firms start, not just start, but also women being promoted. But the pipeline is not there yet. 
for me to say, yes, we should have 30% of the firm should be founded by women because we don't have enough pipeline yet of interest in private equity and venture. So I'm more focused on how do we get young women and, you know, minority, ethnically diverse, right, young professionals interested in investing in private equity. And part of that is because historically, and I'll just tell you my story, but I'm from an immigrant family, right? And my parents were entrepreneurs. They came with nothing. They were very like middle-class educated, very educated. And I'm the first to work in, you know, in America, like from, and, and grow up here and, and work here. So I think that in itself, like puts up, you know, most ethnic groups and women at a disadvantage, I would say like new wealth creation. There's a lot more diversity in that. So I think that's going to change also the landscape of where investors come from, where the, you know, professional the LPs and like that side of yeah. it. Cause I know like on the venture community, yeah. we're <clears throat> saw this report by women in VC and one of the, the call to action was LPs can't write checks that are small enough to give the people who need the start, the start. But I don't know on the buyout side, you know, what you have seen in the market. So I think that is also true. I see a lot of LPs making efforts through their emerging manager programs, through different types of programs, and a lot of family offices that are actually very focused on that. There's a number of family offices that were created by uh, professional investors that are now looking at seeding female-owned funds or you know, ethnically diverse funds. And because I think we all recognize that there isn't enough diversity in the professional investment world. And so I see progress from that standpoint because their um, investors, the LPs are actually thinking about that and recognize that diversity in the boardroom and, and driven by also public company performance, right? Diversity in the boardroom, diversity um, in a management team leads to better commerce. At the end of the day, it shouldn't be about that. But if your consumer base and your labor base is gender and ethnically diverse, then the decisions that are being made in the boardroom have to take those things into account, which means you need to have a diverse boardroom. Right. I mean, and the public companies are already starting to do that. The state of California just passed a law that requires their boards, all public companies in California to have diverse boards. And that is, and I think that one of the reasons it passed is because people recognize from a commerce standpoint, it just makes sense. Again, a lot of work to be done, but I agree with you. I think there's been a a tremendous amount of progress, but we still have a long way to go. You know, a, a personal example that we saw on the need for diversity is we had a uh, a shoot that we were doing and we were doing a brand video and we were going through the different people to kind of create a diverse team look and one person felt objectified that they they mm. wanted them their race to be in it and i didn't even think about that i didn't yeah. even think about that perspective i didn't even think about certain things sometimes like the the clothes that people want to wear that they're more conscious of that and that's the need to have a diverse team is people look differently. They think differently. They have different beliefs. And we have to, and I think we just need better diversity training, you know, throughout mm. the, you know, corporations, private equity. I mean, I, I, I think even within our own firm, I think about, you know, everybody grew up differently. The foods we eat, right. Depending on where your family is from. And even within that, it's like everyone is different. Everyone is unique. 
right? Every human being is unique. So, and their experiences are unique. Even if you were kind of all in the same, you, you kind of look the same, right, on paper. <laughs> so it's exacerbated when you have then ethnically different backgrounds and gender different backgrounds. So I think that's the the training and all this um, the work that's being done today at, at the corporation, large corporations and at board levels around you know, DEI initiatives are really important because the country is diverse. It's, it's becoming more and more so. I mean, you have more, if you look at the billionaire ranks in the United States, it doesn't look the same. It doesn't look like the same people that were in those ranks 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was all multi-generational families. Today, it's all, you know, entrepreneurs. I come from all kinds of different backgrounds.